Yes, big thanks to the two Johnnies as always. It is a Thursday, March 2nd. I'm Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up between now and 7pm, Keith Tracy is in studio to reflect the night of big shocks spearheaded by the Irish in the FA Cup. We'll also hear from Republic of Ireland boss Stephen Kenny, who was on media duty today. Gary Moran is in Istanbul at the European Indoor Athletics Championship and he'll bring us up to date with Irish interest there. Declan Quigley will be joining us to preview the upcoming F1 season that begins in Bahrain this weekend and Jeff Shepard will be done Dialing in from the USA with his eye on all things American sport. If you want to get in touch, just drop us a text on 51552 or tweet at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Yes, hello there, good evening. It's great to have your company on this uh, Thursday evening. Before we get into tonight's show, a couple of headlines to get through. Starting with golf, uh, the Arnold... Arnold... Palmer Invitational is ongoing at the moment. There's plenty of Irish interest in that one. Seamus Power is approaching the last hole on his first round. He is one under, which is five shots off uh, leader Cameron Young, who is also approaching uh, the 18th. So Cameron Young, six under. Seamus Power, one under. Powering Harrington teed off about an hour or so ago. He is uh, one over through three holes he's approaching the fourth and uh, Roy McElroy and Shane Lowry have just teed off in the last few moments so we'll keep you updated with their progress uh, uh, over the course of the show uh, world number 153 Elizabeth Sokol leads the field on 8 under par after the opening round of the HSBC Women's World Championship in Singapore with Leona Maguire six shots back after carding a 70 a bogey on 8 was the only blemish for Maguire in what was a steady opening for her at an event where no Nine of the world's top 10 golfers are in action. Birdies were made on 2, 7 and 13 to leave the Cavan competitor on 2 under and in a share for 14th to rugby Orgy Snyman is in line for a return to action after being named on the Munster bench for their United Rugby Championship clash against Scarlets tomorrow evening. Kickoff is at 7.35 and that one's live in the RT2 and the RT player. Uh, the South African lock ruptured his ACL in October 2021 uh, ironically against the Scarlets. Uh, meanwhile, hooker Dermot Barron starts on his 50th Munster appearance as academy player Patrick Campbell and Calvin Nash also come into the side for the sold out Musgrave Park tie scrum half Paddy Patterson and out half Joey Carby start together uh, for the third successive game as do centre pairing Maliki Fekatoa and Anton Frisch uh, staying with rugby and indeed Munster uh, Munster and the RFU have confirmed that Ireland international centre Chris Farrell has been released from his contract with the province Munster said the 29 year old will pursue a new playing opportunity and it's uh, widely reported that he will join a French club. Farrell, of course, stepped back from Munster duty in September due to legal proceedings in France. The RFU also confirmed in September that Farrell would not be considered for Ireland selection. So, Shine, um, the golf is ongoing. We'll keep you updated with that. But the European Athletics Championship is ongoing in Istanbul and our man Gary Morin is in Turkey for us. Gary, there were... Well, there was meant to be four runners today for Ireland. Only one competed earlier on, John Fitzsimons. Uh, no Mark English. And we've Andrew Coscarin and Luke McCann out in uh, 10 minutes or there, thereabouts. What is the story uh, of the Irish in day one, Gary? 
Yeah, well, you know, like with Rashida Adelecki committed to running for the University of Texas and Kira McGeehan having had a setback in training around the new year and feeling she wasn't going to be able to perform to her normal level here. Mark English in the 800 metres looks like Ireland's strongest. They're not only chance of making the podium this week. I mean, he'd done it twice before at Euro Indoors 2015, 2019. And even with a difficult heat draw and only two to qualify automatically for the semis, hopes were high. But he was feeling ill yesterday. He clearly wasn't much better today and withdrew. It's a cruel blow for sure. He'll be flying home now tomorrow. Indeed, the favourite, Saul Ordonez from Spain, had also been complaining of feeling unwell. I'm not saying they're at all related, uh, but he crashed and burned with 1 minute 51.72, way off his season's best. So he's gone as well. And Ireland's other man in the 800, John Fitzsimons, was fourth in Heat 3 in 149.36 and didn't progress to the semis. The time about one and a half seconds outside his PB and one and a half outside being a foul fastest non-automatic qualifier. He got forced out wide at one stage. Sydney could perhaps have gone harder to stick close to the front. But I mean, it's a really fine balance trend of something left down the final straight. He didn't wilt at the end, but unfortunately his championships are over. Coming up very shortly now, we have Andrew Cosgren and Luke McCann in the first round, which is effectively the semi-finals of the 1500 metres. Jakob Inge Britson is the overwhelming favourite for this. He's uh, looking like he's uh, going to just close up on the lead and probably win uh, the first the first he did a little bit of work to do coming towards the end we're just keeping an eye I'm sure he will uh, come in the first three uh, bell to go and he's just moved up into third place um, so uh, Cosgren next up in, he, in semi-final two uh, McCann in semi-final three Cosgren uh, he certainly has the pedigree, like uh, Olympic semi-finals in Tokyo, World Championship semi-finals in Oregon last year, and coming off a brilliant three minutes, 33.39 at the World Tour final in Birmingham last weekend. The fastest 1,500 metres indoors or out ever run by an Irishman, so you can't say he's not in form. Uh, that was a race in which McCann finished uh, second in 3.34.76, and as I was just looking at my script there, I need to just, if I can, double-check that English. Britson did indeed come in the first three there I'm sure he did because he certainly looked like it as they coming around yeah he finished third so he's an automatic qualifier 350.29 so uh, not a fast race but uh, it comes to be true for Inga Britson who will then go and try and double up winning the 1500 and the 3000 he's a a great man for doubling up in championships and often coming out with gold medals Indeed he is. Great stuff, Gary. We will be checking back in with you a little bit later on in the show. Uh, for those that, of course, will be listening to us here in Game on 2FM, if you want to watch that athletics coverage, it's currently live in the RT News channel as well um, at the moment. From athletics to rugby, and the Irish men's uh, rugby squad took part in an open training session uh, and practice match against the Irish under-20s at the Aviva Stadium today. Uh, our man Damien O'Mara was there and he caught up with Ireland forwards coach Paul O'Connell and the conversation began with O'Connell noting some of Ireland's big names are back in training with Ireland Yeah, Ty Furlong trained for us today Robbie Henshaw trained for us today Johnny Sexton trained Jemison Gibson Park trained which was great they've been rehabbing well and it was great to get them out on the field and get them running that 20 session that we do you know we do it twice during the championship in the down week it's generally a pretty quick session can be a little bit tasty as well at times so uh, a real good session to have them back you know they're, they're not just good players who make our play look better they're, they're good leaders as well they make the group feel good as well they speak well they communicate well 
uh, and they solve problems well so it's great to have them on the field How important is it to have those voices back to maybe freshen things up or maybe add a little bit of intensity ahead of these two big final laps? Yeah, it's very important They've, uh, I think the same thing happened in 2018 where some guys were, were injured at the start of the competition and they came back towards the end of the competition and it, and it gave the group a, a lift you know, they don't just as I said, they don't just play well they, they, they solve problems well they make the group feel good so, so it's been excellent having them out there it's a little bit different when they're there so it's been good for us You learn an awful lot about the character of players and the depth of your squad over a, a couple of weeks like you've just yeah. had no, no sense of panic which there might have been in the past yeah I think look the, the investment that's made you know you, you can try you know you can try something on the field and it'll either work or it won't whereas you know when you I suppose push the players in terms of how they prepare or give them examples of how other sports people prepare or or that kind of thing. You, you don't really know if it's working in the immediate in the immediate aftermath or if it's landed. I think a lot of these guys, you know, from their provinces, from some of the leadership development maybe we've done and, and, and they've taken part in themselves, some of their work with Gary Keegan or their the, the sports sites they have in their provinces, I, I think they all prepare really well, which is a real credit to them now. You know, that someone falls down on a Friday or a, or a Thursday before a big game, the changes have been pretty seamless and and it hasn't always been like that so it's been a real credit to the lads because you know as a coach you're focused on the on the first 15 you're focused on who the subs might be you're trying to see around the corner for some of the problems that might arise if one or two people fall down but it's hard to see everything and um, the lads have been excellent in terms of how they've prepared and what they've delivered when they've had to step in at late notice We've seen wider members of the squad you know in the stands over recent weeks is that part of, of building the collective or maybe replicating what it is you'll experience a couple of months down the line at a World Cup yeah it's building the collective and and letting guys see what a match day looks like so that when they get picked it's not that new to them you know it allows them to visualise it so that they can be a little bit more comfortable when the day comes around so you know we've had guys travel to away games we've had guys stay around the Shelburne Hotel for home games and it's it's a good part of the process that it's you're kind of not a, a rabbit in the headlights when your chance comes three wins from three you know yourself the hype machine and the expectation level grows as does the banana that you can slip on over the course of the next couple of weeks there's never been a team that have gone out not to win you trust the process you secure the win it brings you a championship it potentially brings you a grand slam is that how you approach it or do you challenge the players to go out and seize what's on offer over the coming weeks yeah, but we'd always be conscious that there's a chance of winning something here and that's the start of every tournament and even if we lose the, one of the first games we know there's still a championship there for us if we can get things right and we've spoken for sure about winning the competition but it's nice to talk about it but the lads are very mature they're, they're, they're at the pointy end of most competitions they play and be it with, with the club or with Ireland in recent years they know the prize but they also know that the way they play best and perform best is by focusing on just getting better, you know, by focusing on getting better individually and also us collectively getting better. You know, we, we said there, if you look at the France game for us on TV, it, it looks great and, and, you, and you feel great watching it. But as a coach, you watch it 10 times, you see a whole load of things we have to fix. And, and the players do as well, a whole load of things we can fix and get better at. And that's pretty exciting. And it just makes you kind of, it helps you ignore the bigger picture of, of, of what might be down the line if, if, if we get over the line against Scotland. 
Paul O'Connell there speaking to RT Sports Damien O'Mara Ireland of course back in action Sunday week away to Scotland in Murrayfield in the uh, Six Nations lots to come Andrew Cosgren is just about to get underway in his 1500 metres heat in fact he's that has just begun there uh, live coverage in RT News Channel uh, at the moment will be crossing back live to Gary Moran who's in Istanbul first Jeff Shepard will have his eye in America Declan Quigley will be uh, along to preview the F1 but coming up next Keith Tracy will be chatting soccer Game on Football. Now you're very welcome back to Game On. It is great to have your company. Andrew Coscran is currently in action in the men's 1500 meters heat in Istanbul in the European Indoor Athletics Championship. He is currently third at the moment. He's well, he was first. This uh, this uh, graphics on the uh, TV channel is jumping all over the place. He's currently third at the moment, so he's well placed there. Uh, going into the final lap or there thereabouts so uh, we'll keep you updated on that but Keith Tracy uh, is along if I uh, pluck your eyes away from the from the race athletics fan Keith? Uh, not really no, no. <laughs> I, I have to have some sort of inspiration to be running around I can't just run around in circles I get, uh, <laughs> mentally I start to wane very very quickly Fair enough fair enough we are here to chat um, soccer and there is plenty to get through uh, in soccer football association football whatever tagline you, you want to put on it um, let us start with the FA Cup because there were some uh, good Irish stories in that uh, notably Gavin Houlihan um, who was the hero for Grimsby Town. Evan Ferguson scored uh, for uh, Brighton as well um, during the week. So it's it's some some very positive uh, stories. And Spurs got knocked out last night as well, so some big shocks as well. Gavin Houlihan, what a story. I mean, this is... And it is Houlihan. This is what I was... I was on with two Johnnies earlier. It's spelled H-O-L-O-H-A-N. But we, we put in a call. I think it was the Cork City, his former club, and... He, the, the man himself confirmed that it is Gavin Houlihan, so that is the, the correct correct pronunciation. Um, but it's great to see an Irishman, you know, it's not easy in the lower leagues in England, and now to get your big stage, your big chance, and to ultimately be the hero. Yeah, I've uh, I seen the penalties back, and it, it's never easy to score two penalties in the same game, because obviously there's, there's these mind games going on with the with the goalkeeper and it's against a Premier League team as well you can you can be forgiven for getting a little bit nervous but he stuck my way well and actually played, had a decent game in the middle of the pitch as well he was all energy all tackled and that's what you want a huge huge result for uh, for Grimsby mm. uh, the so-called lower team but it just I think this could be a blessing in the size for Southampton I think they'll be saying listen we lost without the FA Cup but if we can somehow keep ourselves in the Premier League it's not the worst thing in the world personally I don't think Southampton will do I, I I'm just not seeing enough to be able to back them even last night against Grimsby Grimsby just outfought them just wanted it more all the passion all the desire was coming from Grimsby so to be outfought by a, a lower league team is it's just unforgivable really mm. It's not with a new manager now and he's like right you're the man now Ruben Sellers to take us for to the rest of the season but at least there isn't a distraction no Gavin Bazunu uh, for Southampton uh, he wasn't involved in the match day squad was that Alex yeah another Irish positive there yeah, <laughs> yeah so we can't even say that <laughs> bagged a couple of goals against Bazunu but no it is like that whole about not similarities with your own career Keith but in terms of going over uh, like he started where he was Kilkenny born and he went over to England originally was Hull and then in the lower lower leagues as well it didn't quite work out came back to Ireland withdraw to Cork and Galway and Waterford and then went back over I know you came back and, and had a bit of League of Ireland football as well but going back and forth as well just to have your head straight and now to to be able to perform as you mentioned against a Premier League team in 
an FA Cup to get into a quarter final like that mental strength as well yeah. is something to note I was just about to say Shane to, to start off over in England and to come back and then to find yourself back over there the mental strength that's required to be able to do that is is off the charts it really is so I, I'm absolutely delighted for him you don't always get the rewards in the game that your hard work sometimes uh, warrants but this time he gets it and he, he was the hero on the night and, and from what I've heard it, it's much deserved he's a hard working lad and it's great. Everybody loves an underdog story, don't you, when yeah. Grimsby are doing well in the FA Cup. So, yeah, long may I continue. Absolutely. Uh, so, Southampton will be uh, perhaps pleased to be out of the FA Cup. No distractions in that regard. Spurs, on the other hand, 1-0 uh, defeat away to Sheffield United. No Harry Kane. I know a lot of people are giving out, but I think Spurs management did come out and say he, he was sick and he was playing with an illness, so that was the, the reason behind it as well. But, I mean, that surely was a... a it's a trophy that Spurs would have been targeting. Yeah, you would have thought so because, in all fairness, they're they're not going to win the the Premier League. This is something that you would have thought realistically they could go and win this trophy. Mm. But again, just like Grimsby and Southampton, like I've played for Sheffield United. When you go to Bramall Lane, you know you're getting a game. Even if Sheffield United aren't a hundred percent on it, you're getting a game. Whether it be physical or tactical, you're going to get a tough it's game. A, it's a right moody gaff. Is it really there? is? <laughs> I mean, look, the, the, the fans are a big, big part of that. They sing the they sing the song just before kickoff. It gets everybody going, and Spurs looked a little bit surprised by it. They looked like they didn't expect it. Which for me, again, a Premier League team going there, you should expect the kitchen the kitchen sink is mm. going to be thrown at you. And it, it always, always a tough game at Bramall Lane. But like I say, Spurs just didn't show me anything in that. And I do think Spurs, obviously, look, they're in a decent decent place in the Premier League. But last night, Antonio Conte not being there with the gallbladder operation still over in Italy. Mm. I think it was just one of them days where a footballer can throw one in. And even I think uh, even the assistant manager said it was the energy of Sheffield United that really caught us off. We couldn't match it. So, look, it, it's not what Spurs want. But again, if they can finish fourth or you know get Champions League football next season, nobody's going to be giving out about the, the exit of the FA Cup. Yeah, very much so. I, if we're to flip from there were two Premier League matches on last night as well. Arsenal beat Everton 4-0, Liverpool beat Wolves 2-0. Just on the on the Spurs result and the race for, for fourth place now, will it would be interesting to see how they respond in, in terms of will this be a big dent in their confidence that will translate to the league now? Or will it say, right, we park that, this is what we're concentrating on, we have to get Champions League football. So it would be interesting to see how they respond and indeed now if Liverpool can galvanise on that as well. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly what I think Spurs will be looking over their shoulder. Newcastle seem to have come off the boil, but they were looking at the at the final when they've obviously been beat by United in the mm. final. So Newcastle now, I think, will will have a, a re, to be re-energised, they'll have a refocus on the Premier League. So Spurs looking over their shoulder, United look brilliant. You know, you'd, you'd probably give Manchester United you know, a tour at this moment in time. Spurs sitting in fourth, they'll be looking over their shoulder at Newcastle and Liverpool. And for such a poor season, only 24 games in, and we're saying Liverpool have had an awful season, but if they can somehow catch Champions League football next season, you know, it just puts a decent spin on it. And Do they have it in them? I'm not so sure it'll be Liverpool brilliance that I'll give it to them. I think it might be Spurs just, you know, hitting the implode button that might get Liverpool to catch them. And Newcastle have never been in this position before, you know, over the la- or recently over mm-hmm. the last couple of years. So there's every chance that, that Newcastle could come off the boil. So I do think Liverpool will get Champions League football, but not because of their own brilliance, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. by default. By default, there we go. <laughs> um, Sheffield United, true. Sheffield United, Blackburn, the key Tracy Derby. I, only, I know we were mentioned before, so you've, we've Sheffield United, Blackburn and Burnley. Three of your old teams, all in the, the FA Cup quarterfinal. Do you have a, like a, a team you'd be leaning towards out, out of the teams you played for? 
Uh, yeah, I do. I, I I would probably lean towards Burnley. I, I loved all. I have to be honest. I know, I'm not just saying this because because I'm here. I loved my time at Sheffield United. It, it put hair on my chest. I was in Blackburn Rovers reserves at the times. So I went to Sheffield United under Kevin Blackwell, and that that was my first real taste of, of professional football. And I scored my first professional goal against Leicester there. So I, I have okay. really good memories at Sheffield United. Loved my time at Burnley. Really, really loved it. They didn't enjoy me so much because I've been at Blackburn, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I absolutely. And sorry, you also play for Wednesday. So, yeah. so I, I'm sure Sheffield United fans now might have a bit of contrasting uh, opinions on you, considering you. Yeah, well, Lancashire and Yorkshire. I, I wasn't too. Uh, they didn't like me too much <laughs> around there. I stayed in the area. I, I just went around playing for uh, anybody's rivals. I signed for the rivals in the area, so I, it didn't get on too much. But look, I think. The way I, when I look at Burnley now, when Vincent Company initially came in, I, I, I feared for them because Sean Dyche had done so well. It was set in stone. It was his club. The way they played, everything was set in stone. But he's completely revamped that club. The way they play football, the crowd are, are quite settled. They're they're they're, paid, they're a lot more patient than when I was there. And Burnley had just gone from strength to strength. So yeah, I would probably lean towards Burnley. But look, I wouldn't begrudge Sheffield United, Blackburn or Burnley. Any one of them will suit me if they get to a final. Okay. Well, you have one of them in the semi-final anyway. It'll be either Sheffield United or, or Blackburn in the semi-final. So at least you have that box off. Burnley, though, will have it all to do. The, the Vincent Company derby returning. Uh, they face Manchester City away in the quarter-final draws. So that certainly will be a tough one. You mentioned Manchester United and how, how well they're going now. Do you feel they can handle the workload? Do they have the, the strength and depth? I think so, yeah. You know, I, I look at the the strength and depth that they have, the players they brought off the bench last night, they, they brought on, on the big boys and they changed the game. You know, West Ham were doing okay in the game. Fernald scores, a, a Fernald, Pablo Fernald scored mm. a beautiful goal, gets them 1-0 up and you're thinking, right, you've won the cup, legs might be a little bit heavy, let's see what United have. And they turned it around really, really well. I know they, got, they brought Casemiro on, brought Rashford on, uh, brought Fred on. And they, they managed to change the game, and West Ham just didn't seem to have too much uh, too much backbone at that point. But Credit United thought they were really, really good. And one thing that I noted, Lissandro Martinez come on, West Ham had a throw, Martinez come on, and it got through into Antonio at his chest. And the first mm-hmm. thing Martinez did was kick Antonio in the head. And I just thought, that's what you want. He just set the tone straight away, and Mikel didn't want too much of the physical battle off yeah. a, a five foot eight centre half who everybody never got to talk, make it. Exactly, he talks it. about yeah. his physical height, but look, he, he's a brilliant, brilliant defender. And he can be quite physical at times. And United are going from strength to strength on that 10 hack. I did enjoy, um, I'm not sure which goal it was, but when they were celebrating, I think it was. Veghorst and, and someone else slid in to celebrate and then Martinez slid in but he slid in like studs first yeah, yeah. yeah I remember saying, yeah. but that, <laughs> that was brilliant was team, was like. that all comes from uh, the, the press high in the final third Veghorst wins the ball Fred just taps it in and yeah. that's what the United fans were screaming out for they wanted Ronaldo to be doing that type of pressing look I know not everybody's a big fan of, of Wout Veghorst but he runs around he will cause problems he'll get assists he'll get the odd goal and you, you're saying when the press is done properly you're saying the rewards last night for you know it's tour goal absolutely he's enjoying himself as well which uh, is great to see players playing with a, a smile on their face uh, listen Keith you're going to stick around but I want to play a Stephen Kenny clip because uh, Stephen Kenny uh, Republic of Ireland boss was up on media duty today and uh, he was speaking to our own Tony O'Donoghue just before we do play that clip Luke McCann is going very well in his heat um, heartbreaking news for Andrew Cosgrove because he finished fourth I think by about tenth of a second and Luke McCann looks like he has just been pushed out 
of the top three as well in his 1500 metres uh, heat there. We will be crossing live to Istanbul. Gary Moran will get us up to date on all of those uh, results uh, in full. But as I mentioned, Stephen Kenny uh, was chatting to Tony Dunhill and Tony began by asking uh, Stephen if he's looking forward to uh, a big summer ahead with the Republic of Ireland. Yes, yes, we really are. I think um, we've been building this team for two years. You know, I think, I think we've got a lot of potential in the team. Very exciting team. And the games, obviously we're playing France, the World Cup holders from 2018 and the World Cup finalists from, from this year. So they've incredible pedigree, obviously one of the top two teams in the world. And Holland, of course, and Greece. So real tough games, but brilliant games for us to play in. And uh, we're really looking forward to the games against Latvia, first and foremost, and, and France in March. I believe that you, uh, you voted for Kylian Mbappe as the, the player of the year. I can understand why as well, but do you think he'll hear about that? He'll be pleased. <laughs> I don't think he'll be concerned one way or the other. You know, I think, yeah, no, I listen, I thought he was the best player in the World Cup 2018 when he was a teenager. So, you know, I felt he was the most influential. And uh, he had a brilliant World Cup, obviously he didn't win on penalties, but he's, he's, a, he's an incredible talent. Is it a frightening prospect planning to try and deal with a threat as, as potent as his? Listen, that's the challenge. Really, we, we do have to plan for that, of course, and, but also focus on the the talent that we have ourselves. Like t- two years ago, the profile of striker that we had, we had a certain profile. Now, all of a sudden, in the last two seasons, players have come, come through. We have Adam Ida, Michael Obafemi, Chidozi Ogbenya, Troy Parra, and Evan Ferguson that have just emerged. And so obviously, we have different characteristics now. We have speed. We, we have speed to, to hurt teams. And uh, we have players who can only get better. And we also have other players they complement that like Will Kane and Scott Hogan and so forth but and James Collins but the profile of player that's come through over the last two years is completely different to what we had and that gives us real options in terms of having real penetration in our play Evan Ferguson got to bring him up because he's made such an impact already in, in, in such a short period of time you capped him in the last window it's going to be hard to, to keep him out of your team isn't it? Yeah it's been a meteoric rise for Evan and a lot of the other players you feel that international football has really benefited their club career. Gavin Bazzuni, Nate Collins, Jason Malumbi, Adamida, all those players that have come through, it's really, international football has brought them to the forefront. But Evan is not really like that because he, he's done it just himself, coming through the ranks, going straight into the Premier League, scoring goals, because he missed out key periods in the international uh, window with COVID. He didn't, the under-19s was cancelled in that period, the under-17s, so he's played a few games the under-21s, Come into our squad, come on. And since then, he's gone from, you know, at his club, he's done really well. He, he does the simple things well. He does the simple things well, and um, he, he obviously has the ability to score goals. So it's a good start from, and it's early days in his career. Will it change the way you're thinking, though, about how you, you deploy your front three? Or front two, depending which way. You know, we, we have the adaptability to play with, with a front two or play with a front three. So uh, it gives us another option, and there's competition for places, and that's what we want. Speaking of which, uh, there's been talk about Mikey Johnston, a Celtic player who's on, on loan in Portugal. Can you bring us up to date on that and would you like to see him be part of the Ireland setup? Yeah, yeah, I think we're waiting confirmation that, you know, from UEFA that it's to be complete. His family are from Derry and he's played in four Scottish Cup finals before he's 22 for Celtic. So he's, that's a characteristic that maybe we don't have in the squad, like some left winger who a right foot left winger who can dribble and beat players is exciting and has good good final pass he's been injured for a year 
subsequently has missed out. Celtic have signed a lot of players in that period, so he's gone on loan to Portugal, which is a good league. Mm. Vittoria Guimara has played Braga the other night, but Braga got to the semis of the Europa League last year, and he's sporting Lisbon, Benfica, so, um, Porto. So it's good. It's a good league, and um, so he's getting good experience there. Would you hope to include him for the, the Latvia France squad? We'll have to wait and see. We'll wait and see on that one. In that squad, I mean, do you have a, a dilemma in terms of how many to pick, or you know, the Latvia game? Is, do you want to put out the team you're more likely to face France, or do you want to experiment a bit? Well, I think we're unlikely to play the team that will play France, but I'm sure some players will need to play matches. Some players will maybe, you know, need to take a, a little breather because the championship is so relentless that it's played. They're playing particularly teams in the FA Cup as well, and the championship they're playing maybe five or six weeks concurrently of midweek matches, which is relentless on their bodies. And so we have to manage that and make sure players are in peak form for the French game. And part of your your off-field team, if you like, uh, John O'Shea has, has joined the, the, the setup. What are you hoping for from John? What can John offer to you as the manager and to the, the squad in the build-up to these big games? Yeah, you know, I spent two and a half years, when I was under-21 manager, I spent four days at Reading with John. Uh, you know, he was a coach with uh, Mark Bowen there at the time, and manager, Neddy Nizweski, and he was coaching there, and I, you know, shadowed him for four days, and John went to, to work with the under-21s, which was terrific. He worked at Reading and Stoke and obviously competed his pro licence recently. And obviously I would have met him on the pro licence a few times. I would have presented on that a couple of times. And um, I think uh, we have a pathway now for players and coaches. Like when you look at Keith Andrews, Keith has come through the under-17s of Ireland, the under-21s, ex-international, and gone into the, you know, into the senior international setup. Dean Kiley, obviously... Uh, likewise uh, in the same international setup, but John has come from the under 21s done a full campaign and, and a bit of part campaign and now he's ready to step up into 118 caps as a player it's great experience and he's 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 worked hard at his coaching so he'll, he'll bring a lot of uh, a lot of experience to the team game on football that was Republic of Ireland manager Stephen Kenny chatting to Tony O'Donoghue a little bit earlier on today Keith uh I'm really positive now. We're going to be France. We're going to be Lafayette after hearing that. Now, on, on the series note, it's great to hear actually his last answer on the, on the coaching pathway. It's great to see that that being instilled um, and implemented by the FAI as well and blooding coaches through. And that can only be beneficial as well. And the the plethora of, of young talent, Devin Ferguson, new Mikey Johnson now that they may feature as well. I mean... Uh, sky's the limit <laughs> yeah look, it all is looking good Look, I, I played with John O'Shea and the, the amount I, I, it was literally I, I only I earned six caps and John O'Shea was there for most of the caps that I was in the squad and the amount I, I learned from him just from training just from being around him off the pitch and on the pitch you know the likes of Obafemi Ogbeni Evan Ferguson the younger lads in the squad that are just going to learn from him and how to be professional how to deal with these big moments yeah, all for it. 118 caps for your country. It doesn't happen that often. I know there was quite a lot. Richard Dawn, Shea, Given, Robbie Kane, Kevin Gamban, all at once. Damien Duff, all got them at once over 100 caps. But to have a defender that knew, that knew how to defend, it just it just bows well for the future. And the front three of Evan Ferguson, Obafemi and Ogbeni, it does get you get your mouth watering because we've a lot of pace there. And all of a sudden, we've somebody who can hit the back of the net if he gets half a chance. So if we can defend properly like we have been doing, keep teams out, Ferguson can hit the back of the net there is a pathway to win games but I, look, I say this every time I'm very reluctant to throw so much pressure on Evan Ferguson because he's doing so so well that 
you know, he's not going to come into the Irish team and be the finished project. He's not mm. going to be a Robbie Keane. He's not going to, you know, he, he might come in and hit the ground running. Everything might be rosy in the garden, but let's just be patient with this boy because he, he's all all the talent in the world. So let's just let it come naturally and try not to put too much on his shoulders too too soon. And that then would fall into the likes of John O'Shea and everything that yep. are able to protect these players. So he is banging in goals for Brighton. He scored in the FA Cup and so on. And he might get a, a few more before uh, the international break then as well. But if he does have a howler against France or whatever it is, mm. that it isn't the end of the world. I'd say he is developing. But the, the, the structure in place there as well, not that he needs protecting or anything else, but these younger players coming through, that, that they are kept grounded and, and kept looked after well. Yeah, of course. And look, mentally, the game is... The, I was never, ever good at the mental side of the game. I, I spoke to Pat Fenlon quite a lot about Evan Ferguson, who knows him well, and he speaks really, really highly of the family. He speaks really, really highly of Evan. He's a very grounded boy. He doesn't get you know caught up in the glitz mm. and the glams of the Premier League. So hopefully that can keep going and hopefully he's he's going to be brilliant in an Irish short as soon as he puts it on but you know there, there is still big question marks over our midfield the creative uh, the creative element in our midfield we have workhorses in there people will get the ball back for you but if we can't get the ball to Ferguson, and Obafemi and Ogbeni mm. they can't affect the game so you look at still a lot to work on it's looking better Mikey Johnson as well is another one who was exciting people but when you've got a, a group of France, Holland and a tricky tricky games to Greece as well it's hard to be too optimistic about the group in general. Mm. I think we might play well, might do, might do ourselves proud, but in terms of actually advancing, very, very slim. Yeah, it'd be a learning curve anyway. Yeah. That's, that's the positive way we'll put a spin on it. Uh, Keith, uh, pleasure as always. Thank you very much uh, for popping in uh, to chat football. We will be chatting US sports back to athletics. And up next, we'll be previewing the F1 season with Declan Quigley. RTE 2FM. On 2FM. Now, hello once again. You're very welcome back to Game On. Declan Quigley joins me now. Uh, journalist Declan Quigley, that is, to look ahead at the upcoming 2023 F1 season. Uh, this year was set to feature a record 24 races, but the cancellation of the Chinese Grand Prix with the, and the decision not to replace it has lowered that to 23, which still remains a record number for one season between the first race in Bahrain this weekend and the final race on November 26th. There are just 15 weekends without a Grand Prix. Arguably the pick of the bunch in terms of the calendar is the penultimate round, the first Las Vegas Grand Prix in November 18th. So lots to look forward to. Declan Quiggy. Quiggy, what are you hoping to see from the 2023 <laughs> F1 season overall? I said, I hope we see some good car racing because uh, it was a bit lousy last year, wasn't it? I mm. mean, we had sort of Netflix sensational 2021 Abu Dhabi. We're still talking about it. We're still arguing about it. And um, and 2022 was, as is often the case, you know, like, you know, you have a great year and then you have a bit of a ropey one. So Max Verstappen won for fun last year. Um, we were feeding on scraps, trying to get excited about the battle for second, third, fourth, fifth, etc. Um but so uh, so what's going to happen this year I suppose is your I, I like the way you say it's only 23 Grand Prix by the way that's just an <laughs> insane number I mean it kills the teams I mean they're huge organisations at the top it's not so bad but uh, it really is uh, hugely demanding on the teams and how they sort of marry their resources and sort of uh, manage them and anyway that's uh, by the by of limited significance it's not the first Grand Prix in Las Vegas by the way they had one back in um, 1981 and 1982 Oh yeah, Ireland's Ireland's John. It was the Caesar's Palace Grand Prix back then. They raced it around the car park in Caesar's Palace, which tells you two things: one, um, 
that the car park in Caesar's Palace is absolutely enormous. And two, back then they would race in the tiniest of venues because they literally went up and back and up and back trying to find like a tensor barrier queue in the airport or something. Um, <laughs> I'm loving that old school info. <laughs> John Watson went for the title, yeah, from Belfast um, and finished second, I think, in that race and ultimately finished joint second in the championship. So there you go. Oh, okay. three, three Irish drivers on the grid in 1982. When are we going to have uh, at least one again? That's the next uh, I know, yeah. Here's hoping, here's hoping. Come here. Let's, let's talk about this year. Yeah, yeah it, oh, come on, let's build the excitement here. I know it was a foregone conclusion with Max Verstappen and, and Red Bull. Is it going to be, I'm hesitant to say it's going to be more the same, they're going to pull away, or will there be a, a real tangible battle with, with Red Bull and Mercedes and, and Ferrari, or will it be a case of Red Bull won and then Mercedes-Ferrari battle it out for, for two and three? It's, it's 23 races long and there is almost no testing. They only had three days of testing this year instead of six days of testing. They do all of their testing on computer screens and in wind tunnels. And it, they, it's about it's such a long season that they, they, the fortunes will ebb and flow. So I think, yes, it's Red Bull will have a big advantage. Uh, anything between 0.3 and 0.5 the second in testing from Bahrain last week. So that had everyone's shoulders slumping because they just dropped their, their new car on the track and it's flying. Um, looks like they're a little bit closer in race trim and Ferrari are, are uh, best of the rest as we saw last year. Plus they've got a new Fred Vassar's come in as the new um, team principal. Ferrari were just extraordinary at messing up last year. Operationally they were poor. The car showed so much potential but they just didn't manage to sort of get the reliability and indeed they were making huge mistakes on uh, tactically and it was just a bit of a mess it was like Ferrari from the late 60s early 70s um, so for, for Ferrari Fred Vasseur who's been around the block Renault and Sauber if he puts it together and um, then they could really challenge I think on race day um, Is Mercedes, the expectation though that he will put it together like is, is there positivity surrounding Vasseur and the appointment there? I think I think it would be hard to be worse. I don't think it was necessarily Matthew Bonotto's fault, but they were just making so many dumb errors. I mean, they have enormous resources. They have so many spreadsheets they pour over to tell them exactly where to go and when to do it that, I don't know, sometimes they're par- paralyzed and not able to make a, a decision by looking up and looking at the sky and <laughs> trying to figure out what they ought to be doing. But 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 equally, they have so many resources, just ex- and they're so long at it, that, uh, that it's extraordinary that they should have made so many errors operationally. So the assumption is that, yeah, they're going to be better. Um, so, my, so my feeling is that these cars will develop through the season. I mean, again, to even call these cars new is a bit of a stretch because, you know, F1 is in a constant state of development. Last year, we had a new set of rules. So big revision at the beginning of last season. Red Bull had this huge advantage. What will happen is that as this set of rules stabilizes and it's more or less the same there's a couple of tiny little tweaks but there's virtually no change this year the other teams will get the hang of it and they'll start to catch up and they'll narrow the gap so then you'll have pretty exciting Grand Prix that's that's the uh, that's the current plan as, as things currently stand um, Mercedes look a little bit they were kind of depressed after testing because they were neither quick nor reliable they spent too much time in the garage trying to fix niggly little things Um Lewis Hamilton had them up till all hours after the second day. I think they were they were for hours debriefing and chatting and getting themselves very anxious. Um, but but I don't think they're actually that far away. They were second fastest, and some predictions are saying they're they're behind for Ferrari, uh, Ferrari on outright pace, but a little bit closer on race pace. We'll see how that uh, plays out. Um, 
the big boulder actually the big the big excitement was Aston Martin they were really really quick you know that's we, we all look at Aston Martin because that's the old Jordan team isn't it mm. they're, they just built this new 200 million pound factory around the old Jordan factory that they've been based in um, for about a million years and um, and Lance Stroll's dad bought him a race team and now he's hired Fernando Alonso to go up against the sun and uh, um, Alonso at the early age of 41 looks like he might have a good racing car for the first time in years well first time in a couple of years mm. and he's, he's they looked really quick in fact they looked everybody knew they were going to be quick before they went testing because of the way that they can project their simulations from their computer screens and from from wind tunnels um, they knew they were going to be fairly fast and so it proved and they were reliable uh, so they got a no- decent amount of running and the, the, the hot thinking is that Fernando Alonso might conceivably able, be able to challenge on the odd occasion. He hasn't won a Grand Prix since 2013. That was Spain. You know, it would be remarkable if he were to to win at 41 years of age mm-hmm. uh, and race this year. We keep an eye out for it because it would be that would vault him to sixth on the all-time list of oldest Grand Prix drivers. And all the oldest ones were in the fifties, you know. So okay. it would be extraordinary. That I was yeah. going to ask that. Like, are, are they podium quick in, in terms of will we see a winner of a Grand Prix this year? We, we've we've enough to choose from with the twenty three races, but in terms of will we see a winner outside of of the big three? Shall we say? I think uh, Aston Martin are the ones nudging in there at the minute. Okay. It, it, it's uh, it's unusual to see a huge change in the in the order. So you tend to get excited about the interteam rivalry between the drivers. Um, we're in the middle of a patch of Red Bull dominance. Before that, there was a patch of Mercedes dominance. Before that, it was actually Red Bull, you know, four in a row for, for um, Sebastian Vettel. We're mm. going to start a season without Sebastian Vettel. It's going to be extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, I, I, and he'll be kind of going, well, I would really like to have that. I, I kind of wish I hadn't retired now because that Aston Martin looks like a bit of a beast, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think they can definitely get into podium contention, but it'll a lot will depend on how well they develop during the season. Traditionally, that team, in all its iterations over the years, hasn't had the resources to develop their car. They haven't had enough of a platform to be able to put different bits on it and go in different directions and really just to, you know, try different things and have the money to do it. Um, it looks like they've got both of those things now. So, yeah, they could be, they could stay in the hunt. And the more you're in the hunt, the more that little crazy things can happen and you can get the odd win, yeah. Very much so. Looking forward to this one. Um, it starts in Bahrain then, as I mentioned, and before we just wrap up our, our chat here, and there's been discourse surrounding Bahrain and, and Saudi Arabia Grand Prix in, in, in particular, and you might just kind of briefly explain the situation here and the story behind it, because drivers, I don't know, are they being effectively gagged from speaking out on, on certain issues? We've seen Lewis Hamilton become a leader in this regard, speaking out on, on human rights issues. Now, will this no longer be allowed, or, or how strict are F1 bosses, or how rebellious might the, the F1 drivers be? Well, um, it's funny. They tried to gag them, and really quickly, uh, Lewis Hamilton and a whole bunch of other drivers said, we won't be gagged, and they kind of rolled back on it. The FIA, like a couple of days after uh, Hamilton said what he said, and uh, George Russell was also pretty forthright. They they came up with a new rule on making political, religious, and personal statements um, illegal. And then Lewis Hamilton said, no one's going to stop me from saying what I need to say uh, when I need to say it. So... Like two days later, the FIA said, "Well, actually, we won't um, we won't be preventing anyone from saying what they need to say in in private interviews or on their social channels, but they won't be allowed to do it on the track or on the podium." Or so so basically, they don't want people wearing t-shirts with political statements. But it looks as if they 
they step back to such an extent that I'm not so sure they'll be able to uh, prevent the drivers from doing what they want to do. They did say that even then, even in those particular circumstances, there would be exceptional situations if you give the FIA four weeks advance notice that you're going to wear a Pride t-shirt or you're going to wear, you know, Black Lives Matter t-shirt mm. or something. That that seemed to be the, the leaning that they were going with. But um, uh, I'm not so sure they'll be able to control that. And speaking of the first two Grand Prix, yeah, I mean, they're in the Middle East. They're in countries that have questionable human rights records. It's probably the euphemism. Um mm. And um, yeah, Bahrain and Saudi—it's—it's it's, um, some start. It's difficult, isn't it? Very much so. Yeah, there's, there's a. Oh, I could go on for ages, Shane. But there was a cross-party um, group of twenty MPs in the UK that signed a letter calling on you know for an independent investigation of Formula One because they suggest there's lots of sport watching going on there, um, and and calling on F1 bosses to be like Lewis Hamilton and. In speaking out, although ironically, Lewis Hampton's last Grand Prix win was in Saudi Arabia in 2021. So, funny old world. Lots of interesting narratives. Quick fire questions for you, Declan. Uh, just before we wrap up, oh. uh, top three in order. Firstly, for the drivers' championship. Predictions and mugs game, Sean. Uh, Shane, only only idiots come into bookies, but uh, I did write them down because you did suggest <laughs> it. I, I, it's it's the world's most boring top three because I think um, it'll be Verstappen, Leclerc, or Perez, or okay. maybe. Verstappen, Perez, Leclerc. Um, I can't see the Mercs getting in there at the moment, but you never know. The constructors, Red Bull, Ferrari, and Merck in that order. Um, your bolter is Aston Alonso. Although keep keep an eye out for Williams as well. I don't think they're going to uh, set the world on fire, but they had a great testing, and that's that's great to see. McLaren are interesting because they had a terrible testing, but they've got two really inter- they've got a young driver uh, combination. Oscar Piastri, this mm. young Australian guy that's a bit controversial, won everything in the junior formula, and he's coming up against uh, Lando Norris. And Lando's got a couple of seasons under his belt now. He's he's dusted his other rivals, Ricardo, etc. So it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. That could be. It could turn into a row. It could be interesting. Well, hopefully so. Listen, Deglin, Declan, even, you're a gentleman. Really appreciate that. Uh, the Bahrain Grand Prix kicks off the F1 2023 season uh, this weekend. And coming up in a few moments, we are going to be chatting US sport with Jeff Shepard and we'll be crossing back live to Istanbul with Gary Moran. Game on on 2FM. Now, you're very welcome back to the final part of Game On and Gary Moran is standing by for his live in Istanbul because earlier on uh, this afternoon in the 800 metres, John Fitzsimons was unlucky. He didn't qualify. Mark English pulled out with illness but in within the last half hour, uh, Andrew Coscran and Luke McCann were competing in their respective heats in the men's 1500 metres and Gary, there was plenty of drama. There certainly was those heats. They're effectively semi-finals because the final is at 20 to 6 tomorrow evening. Well, they finished around 25 minutes ago. The really good news is that Luke McCann has made it through to that final, but Andrew Coskin has not. That'll be a big disappointment for him. If you had to nail your colours to the mass that one or the other would have made it Coskin probably would have been would have been for sure the favourite having run a sensational time in winning a race in Birmingham just last week in which McCann was actually second uh, in a way it makes sense to go through the three semis in order the first one really really slow Jakob Ingebrigtsen was in it and we know what an absolutely world class athlete he is like in the top two or three athletes in the world if not the top athlete in the world and he I mean they were dawdling along he ended up finishing third and like he's half a second or point you know just so just nearly 0.6 of a second uh 
ahead of the fourth place runner. Um, but his time, 3 minutes 50.29, like 20 seconds worse than his uh, uh, personal best. So, uh, for, yeah, than his, Euro, sorry, than his, Euro, yeah, than his European record. Uh, so, very, very slow. So then, of course, the second semi-final, know what's happened in the first one, but it wasn't a whole lot faster. So again, it was almost like they were going with the first three over with the three who were going to qualify. Andrew Coskran, for most of it, he was, wasn't in a great position, kind of boxing on the curb, this, that, and the other. Just And it was, there was a lot of bumps and stuff throughout the course of the race. He got into a reasonable position um, at one point, like maybe with two, three hundred metres to go, and was in third, but again, got moved, you know, someone moved up on the outside, and he ended up finishing fourth, and again, slowish times, a little faster than the first one, but not fast enough, I'll just give you Coscarin's time, was 344.11, like 11 seconds almost, slower than what he ran in Birmingham last week, so... Uh, 40 finished and you, the top three obviously made it straight through the final and you kind of knew then that the others uh, in the heat three were going to make sure it was quicker than that which wasn't ever going to be beyond them that's exactly what happened Luke McCann actually hit the front about midway through the race and was probably still leading with under 200 metres to go so into the early stages of the last lap or coming around the, the first bend in the last lap he was passed out but he always looked like he would finish in those top six and they were confident I spoke to him a short while ago they were confident that six would come out of that in fact at the end of the heat they were kind of high-fiving each other like we've done a job on what happened in the first semi and the second semi so McCann's time 341.51 that's kind of irrelevant he's through to a major final a European indoor final uh, the winner of that one Neil Gourley of Britain and Inga Britson for sure will be the uh, favourite in the final but McCann says well he says bronze medal is up for grabs probably and it'll be a massive achievement and a surprise if he does it but fair play to him this evening Absolutely Gary thank you very much that is all we have time for we'll be checking in with Gary tomorrow live from Istanbul more Irish in action in the European Indoor Athletics uh, as well I did promise you Jeff Shepard but good things come to those who wait he'll be dialing in tomorrow instead we'll also have Jane Mangan on racing uh, we'll be previewing the weekend's Gaelic football and the Women's League of Ireland Premier Division Conor Bean is up next after the news